Welcome to NBA Talk with Isaac Wolf. I am your host, Isaac Wolf. It's time to talk about game two. This is about what I expected from the Warriors in terms of a response. Steph Curry with 29 points led the way to a 107-88 blowout, really, of the Celtics. In the first half, it was a two-point game. It was 52-50 to at halftime. I believe the Warriors had the lead. But in the third quarter, the Warriors outscored Boston 35-14. to Curry himself had 14 points. And the team shot 7-12 to from three, ended the quarter on a 19-2 run, capped off by Jordan Poole's half-court shot. And that's really what won the game. That quarter won the game for the Golden State Warriors. Steph Curry, let's talk about him for a second. He is great. He is an all-time scorer, the best shooter of all time. And offensively, he's carrying the load in this series. He's the finalist MVP so far. But he's got to have more help. Klay Thompson going four for 19, one of eight from three. Golden State can't get away with that every game. Thankfully, Jordan Poole showed up. Draymond only took three shots, but, I mean, he played smart, did well in his role. But there will be times in the series when he needs to be more aggressive. He did get to the line in game two, went five of seven from the line. So that kind of balances it out. Jordan Poole won this game for the Warriors, in my opinion. Yes, Steph was great, 29. But Poole, 17 points in 22 minutes off the bench. Without his production, certain runs in this game wouldn't have happened. Certain momentum swings wouldn't have occurred. And I think it would have been a completely different game if Jordan Poole didn't show up. He made up for Clay's lack of production, which if Clay makes his shots this series, the Warriors are up 2-0. But this series is going to come down to the role players. We saw this in game one. Tatum put up 12. Yeah, he really did not have a good game, but the role players stepped up. Horford, 26. Derek White, 21. Smart, 18. Those three we saw, I think it was, what, 15 of 23 from downtown between the three of them. And the Celtics won. Curry had 34, but Poole, 9. Thompson, a very inefficient 15. Wiggins had 20, so a decent effort, but it was still nothing compared to the hot shooting of the Celtics role players. In game two, we saw Tatum. You know, he was decent. He had an inefficient 28 points, but Horford had two. Smart had two. White had 12. And Robert Williams had two. Curry had 29. Poole, 17. Wiggins, 11. Thompson, 11. Green, 9. Gary Payton, the second, finally showing up in the rotation and benefiting from it. The Warriors benefiting from it. Had seven. And the Warriors won. Do you see the pattern? I mean, the role players are going to win this series, whether that be Boston's or Golden State's. In the second quarter, Draymond closed out on a Jalen Brown three, got in his landing space, a foul was called, and then there was a slight confrontation between the two. Nothing really major. I mean, I think everybody's overreacting to it. Green nudged Brown in the back and then pulled the shorts down in an effort to get up. Not all the way down. It was just, you know, kind of a slight tug, but people are overreacting about that as well. And this was after he got a tech already in the first quarter after a scuffle with Grant Williams. And so people are debating whether Draymond deserved his second tech, which would have ejected him. This is only a topic of discussion because it's Draymond Green. <laughs> it's, it's pathetic. This wasn't even close to tech-worthy. If this was anyone else, we would, not have, wouldn't, we would not be having this conversation. There was nothing in this encounter that warranted a second technical foul for Draymond Green or Jalen Brown, for that matter. Not that Brown already had a foul or tech. That would have been his first. But let's think back to 2016. Game four, 
of the NBA Finals, Draymond gets ejected after a tussle with LeBron where LeBron threw him to the ground, basically, then stepped over him while Draymond tries to get up, so it looks bad. That tech was Draymond's seventh, suspending him for Game 5 at Oracle. That call was really questionable. I really don't think Green deserved to be ejected for what happened, especially since LeBron started it. The Warriors win Game 4 because that tech occurred with, like, I want to say somewhere in the three to eight minute range left in the fourth quarter. Warriors were already up by 10. They had enough of a lead at that point in the game to keep it and win. They're up 3-1. They go back to Golden State for game five. Green's not playing. Bogut and Godala get hurt. The Cavs win, and that starts their three-game win streak to end the series. The Warriors lose the NBA Finals, and Draymond, in my opinion, if Draymond doesn't get suspended... The Warriors end that thing in five games. That incident cost the Warriors a championship. And I'm sure that incident was in the back of the referees' minds. Because if Draymond has gone that early, the Warriors probably lose that game. The series is likely over. Down 2-0. You lost both games at home. You're going to Boston. Even though Boston doesn't play particularly well at home, it's always difficult to win NBA Finals games on the road. Credit to the rest for not getting caught up in the emotion of the moment and calling that because all it takes, it really doesn't take much. It just takes a quick decision to blow the whistle and call a tech. But Draymond's reputation, again, is the only reason this is even a thought. If this is anyone else, we're not having this conversation. It's sad that it's that it's even a debate because it's not. This was not close. This shouldn't have been a tech. Thankfully, it wasn't. We shouldn't. I mean, we shouldn't even be having this debate right now, but it's a topic of discussion just because Draymond Green has a reputation of, you know, being an irritant and getting a lot of technical fouls. I don't think he needs to change his approach, though, because he is who he is. What he did in game two specifically worked. He was an instigator. He was an annoyance, but he had a very combative approach and it worked. It won the game. But all eyes are going to be on his situation. Now, anytime he loses, he loses his cool and starts mouthing off to the ref, you're going to hear the Celtics fans, especially in Boston, anytime he gets a T or is talking to the ref at all, everyone's going to be watching to see what he can get away with because those fans in Boston are something else. They're going to try to get him going. Not that he needs it, but it's going to be certainly a situation that everybody's going to look at more closely now. But while he doesn't need to change his approach, I think he does have to watch himself because at some point, all it takes, like I just said, it's a split-second decision from a ref to blow the whistle and eject him. So this is going to be a very interesting topic of discussion for the rest of the series. Jason Tatum, he has not played well in this series so far. He is shooting 18% from inside the arc. He's shooting 18% from two-point range through the first two games, which is the worst shooting percentage from inside the three-point line in the last 25 years in NBA final in the NBA Finals. He had seven points in the second half of Game 2 after 21 in the first half. Only took three shots in the second half. He was a minus 36. This is the That was the worst plus-minus of his career. And it was the worst plus minus in finals history in the two decades that the stat has existed. But frankly, I don't think he's to blame for the loss. Sure, he needs to take some of it because he settled too much with smaller defenders. There were times when he 
had you know shorter guys on him and he just chose to take a contested shot he didn't attack the rim enough but when he did attack the rim you know he turned the ball over and threw up bad shots using that James Harden rip through but he, I mean it's on Horford smart and white as well I mean <laughs> after 26 after combining for what was it 18 plus 26 is 44 points in game one. Horford and Smart combined for four in game two. Robert Williams only had two. Derek White only had 12. His his role players, you know, didn't step up either. And then Jalen Brown only put up 17. So should Tatum be more aggressive? Yes, he's settling a lot. But you're going to need more from the role players like i said they're gonna win this series for either side horford and smart have to be better than two points you know per as for clay thompson i'm not too worried yes he shot four from 19 he and one for eight from three but this postseason in the first two games of each series he's only averaging 15 a game he's shooting 34 percent from the field 30 percent from three the rest of the series in the series against Memphis and the series against Dallas and their series against I'm blanking on who they faced in the first round Denver he's averaging 22 points per game on 48% shooting and 44% from three and he doubles his production in games three through six from downtown he doubles his production from downtown going from two to four makes per game from behind the three-point line it's almost like He's such a great shooter. We're looking for excuses to explain, you know, his performance. But sometimes as a shooter, you just miss. And this has been a trend in this postseason. He struggles early in games one and two and turns it around. Yes, the Celtics are a different animal defensively. They're doing a very good job of being physical and forcing, frankly, tough shots for Klay Thompson to make. Contest every shot almost is contested. But the Warriors, you know... They're still scoring 1.7 points or excuse, yeah, points per possession on plays where they run the high pick and roll with Steph. It's the best, most efficient offense in this series, and the Celtics are getting burned because they're playing drop coverage and Curry's getting open looks. Eventually, they're going to have to double team and they're going to have to blitz. They're going to have to do something to change that. And if they do double or blitz, it's going to lead to a four on three, which is going to leave multiple people open, especially considering how the Warriors swing the ball you know, when they swing the ball the way that they do. Clay Thompson is going to get easier shots as a result. He's going to get open shots. And I think he's going to get going. You know, the Celtics, that's what the Celtics should be adjusting to. That's how they should adjust in game three. But, I mean, who knows? Maybe they could just continue to play drop coverage and get screwed by Steph. <laughs> we'll see. But I'm predicting 26. I'm predicting 26 points from Clay Thompson tomorrow in game three. And I'm thinking the Warriors are going to go up 2-1. I think they're going to split these games. I think the Warriors and Celtics are going to split these games. And then the Warriors are going to win the next two. But I think the Warriors are going to win game three. Let's talk about the all-NBA system for a short amount of time. Adam Silver says the league is now considering changing how all-NBA voting is done. And I voiced my opinion about this earlier when we talked about the All-NBA teams and how Joel Embiid got second team. We are in a positionless era. And he recognizes that. Adam Silver recognizes that. So the All-NBA teams should be comprised of the 15 best players regardless of position. And, you know, that's what Silver's considering. Because Embiid got robbed. Everybody, everybody knows it. 
He's considering moving to a positionless 15 best system, which I think is the right thing to do because, I mean, it's just not, the game's not played by position anymore. And all NBA should be, you know, the 15 best players, not who's best at what position, you know, first, second, third team. It just doesn't make sense. Quinn Snyder is resigning as the Utah Jazz's head coach. This comes just after the news that there was, you know, questions as to whether he would return. He is not going to return. And Donovan Mitchell is, quote, unsettled now because of the situation, according to Woj. And he should want out. Donovan Mitchell should get out of Utah as soon as possible. We talked about the Jazz situation you know, a little bit last episode, they had their chances. They had a good team, number one seed, never reached the conference finals. They were just, you know, kind of stagnant. And they had the superstar, they had the star duo, but nothing was going to elevate them to a championship team with the current roster construction. They need to rebuild this roster, and they're probably going to have to start over completely by trading one, if not both, of the two, Mitchell and Gobert. There's been, you know, reported friction between Gobert and Mitchell in the past, so, you know, this seems like the only option. The most likely destination seems like Miami for Donovan Mitchell. That's what a lot of people have been talking about with, you know, for Hero and some picks. I really don't know where Gobert would end up. But that move with Mitchell to Miami would be huge for the Eastern Conference. It'd be between Miami and Brooklyn at that point for the East. And the Nets would be improved defensively and chemistry-wise. And the Heat would get a boost offensively. Both of their weaknesses improving. We already know, you know, the Nets have the better offensive skill. And the Heat have the better, you know, overall defense. But that would be an epic series. But we can fantasize all we want about that move. But we should probably wait to analyze it until it happens. Or doesn't happen. To wrap up today, this day in NBA history, in 2000, Shaq put up 43 points in game one of the finals against the Pacers in a year in which he averaged 41 points per game in playoff series openers. How about that? Happy birthday to Jazz teammates, Daniel House and Jordan Clarkson. Sorry about your team situation. And Allen Iverson. We will be back after game three with another podcast. Tune in to Game 3 on ABC Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time.